0: You're listening to Sarah Hagen Backstage, with interviews and insights from years inside the music industry. Join Sarah as she talks with masters of their crafts, finding out what makes them tick both inside and outside of the music business.
1: Welcome to Sarah Hagen Backstage. My guest today, Dennis Chambers, is not only one of my personal favorite drummers of all time, but he's also one of my favorite people of all time. I get to catch up with Dennis today about playing with some incredible musicians over the years, including Santana, Parliament Funkadelic, Mike Stern, the list goes on and on. And we will also talk about some fun stories from his past and revisit some of his really great solos. So come along with me as I catch up with the one and only, the legendary Dennis Chambers. Dennis Chambers, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hello, hello, hello.
1: How are you?
2: I'm doing fine. I, I'm doing fine. I, you know, just suffering with a little, little high blood pressure problem here, but I'm doing okay.
1: Well, you look fantastic, and it's so good to see you.
2: You look great yourself.
1: Thank you. I
2: miss you, by the way.
1: Oh, I miss you too. I know. This is like, it's, this is a, um, Hold hold over until we get to see each other. So, you know, it'll be a, a consolation. <laughs> but it's been a while since I've seen you, and you just look so healthy, and I'm so happy about that.
2: Yeah, I, I I feel great. Um, uh, actually, I feel better than I felt in the last 18 years.
1: Wow, that is incredible.
2: Yeah, sounds strange, but yeah, I, I'm amazed at the, what a liver transplant can do and how bad my liver was damaged and didn't know it
1: in all right. reasons. Right. For anyone who listen who's listening who doesn't know, Dennis went through a liver transplant and that was last was that October time? October, yeah. October. Yeah. Um and after dealing with some health health issues for for a little bit and then it was time, right? And it was a, a pretty quick process from what I remember.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I healed pretty quickly.
1: Amazing. Um, and you and I have, have this history of me calling you and finding you in the hospital, um, which we need to stop. <laughs> so <laughs> we, um, going going way back to a uh, health um, situation that you went through years back, I just remember um, you were in the hospital for quite a while. I think we were all really, really super concerned about you know, how, how things were going to turn out. You were actually in a coma, um, for a bit. Yeah. And I remember getting a phone call from you. I just have to talk about this because it was so significant, but I had left you a voicemail because we didn't know it, you know, what was going to happen. And we were all so worried about you. I left you a voicemail and just telling you how much I loved you and just like sending the best healing wishes And I got a phone call back from a number that I didn't recognize. Um, I answered the phone and it was you and you sounded hoarse, but, but it was you, like it was your voice. It was Dennis. And I just remember that getting that phone call and thinking like, I can't, I can't even believe I'm talking to you right now. You were calling me from the hospital. You had basically just woken up from your coma and you made the most miraculous recovery. and get got back out there the first clinic tour i think that that we did together I uh, was just like it yeah like it was like it never happened it was just amazing
2: yeah yeah that was that was uh, some interesting times for me uh, right i never want to see another hospital although i'm still going every now and then for my checkups
0: but
1: good that's good But but I just have to say, you know, you've you've been through so, so much and you are like the toughest, the toughest guy, of course. And every time I see you after you've gone through something and you you just you look so great and I'm really, really happy. So keep, keep, keep on doing what you're doing and uh, and we'll get lots more musical moments together, I'm sure. Um, So let me know besides going through. A liver transplant in the middle of the pandemic. How how was everything for you? I know you were dealing with a lot over the past year um, through the quarantine and all of that. How how were you through all of that?
2: Well, I mean, you know, I I, uh, I guess I've been very blessed and also um, smart enough to to save some things uh, when I was able to, you know. So that got me through all, all of this so far. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just being blessed to have friends that that prayed and prayed and prayed for my recovery and uh, constantly, you know, uh, in contact with, with, with my friends and stuff. Um, sometimes it was overwhelming, you know, to, to keep up with all the emails and the texts and the phone calls and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it just made me aware that, you know, people love me. And and uh, and thanks for their prayers and thanks for my wife who kept me alive. My wife is basically, you know, just kept me going. You know? Absolutely. That I, uh, I mean, she was there the, the next day after my uh, my mishaps, being in the hospital in, in a coma. And when she got on the plane, before she got on the plane, she didn't know whether she was going to pick up a body or or a husband. You know, mm-hmm. a live husband or a dead one. Um, and it was because of people what started, the rumors went so freaking quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it was reported that I had died and um, she got wind of it, uh, of course. She was getting phone calls that, you know, you know, people, you know, sending their condolences and all that stuff. And she dealt with all of that. And I heard, I found out she was on the plane the next day. In fact, that next morning she was on the plane. Yeah, you know, you know what's going on and when she got to the hospital, I was laying up in a coma. So I didn't even know when I came up, when I came up, when I came out of the coma, uh, when the doctors were testing my, my memory, um, she was in the room. I didn't even, I didn't know she was in the room, you know, quiet, just watching me going through what I was going through with the doctors and she was been there ever since.
1: She is amazing. And I just said, you know, how tough you are and your wife is really tough too, you know, to, to have dealt with all of that. And I remember, um, it, when you were going through that years back, she made a, a great statement, you know, just to kind of like quell the, the talk and the rumors. I can't imagine how tough it was for her to be dealing with all of this and then getting condolences. And she's saying like, you know, Dennis is still alive. He's still here. He's still fighting. You know. So, um, yeah. So, so kudos to your wife and um, you guys make a great team. And um, but but so you are. You know, you're looking great, and you are going to uh, to be heading back out, which is amazing. Um, the last time we talked, I know it's tough because not everything's set in stone now, and things change. Um, but you have some things on the horizon, which is great.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, let me see. I, I, I'm I'm doing a clinic in Chicago on the 31st. Um, I can't recall the name of it though right now because I I've been sitting here learning uh, all the like recordings um, or music for the re- uh, for recording data I have to do coming up soon. Well, I got mm-hmm. two or three of them coming up soon. I can't recall the name of the clinic. I know it's in Chicago.
1: Okay. Perfect. I'll, I'll find it and I'll link it in the YouTube bio so that people can check it out. Um, the YouTube description. Um, <laughs> but no, that's so great. And I think that, uh, you know, everyone getting back out there is just, it's inspiring. It's exciting. Um, you know, hopefully we get through whatever happens, you know, with, with, um, the variants happening in the U S and and causing some things to, to be paused, but, um, fingers crossed that the things move forward quickly because we all need the music to come back, the live music, and you know, clinics and things like that. So that's super exciting, Dennis.
2: Yeah, you know, it's weird. It's like right now I have a schedule full of maybes.
1: Yeah, right. I
2: tours, and I'm quite sure everybody's pretty much going through the same thing. Now I got some friends that that are in Europe right now, um, and they're telling me how things are going. You know, you know, going into all these different countries and cities and, and things like that they have to get tested every two days
1: wow
2: you know because there's no alliance through the whole part of europe each city or each country treating di- treating this 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 uh, epidemic differently so mm-hmm. um so I, I can't even imagine you know touring enough i mean just touring enough is is crazy
0: mm-hmm
2: you know, like getting up at the crank of dawn, you know, especially when you when you, when you get back to your hotel, like, out, you know, somewhere around one, one thirty two in the morning. And then you got to, you know. You know, prepare yourself for the next morning or that morning, actually, you know, you take showers, you pack your bag, have your bag at the door, set your alarm, sleep for two or three hours, get up. <laughs> Get on the, you know, go downstairs, check out, you know, go through. Yep. You know, Do it all again. Transport, you know, going to the freaking airports. And it's in Europe, it's never a direct flight going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's got to make a connected flight somewhere. And then, you know, the plane's not on time. Ah, get to the, <laughs> the, you know, your final destination city. You know, now you're at the airport. Now you got to get a cab or, or some kind of transport that, you know, pick you up take it to the hotel, take a quick shower, get out the door to do the sound check, You know, get some food, mm-hmm. go back to the gig, do the gig, get back to the hotel like two in the morning. And now you have to do these tests. Right. Two days. Which means you're right. in place, you have to find a place. Or if they do it at the airport, I'm not sure. you've got to find a place, get, get mm-hmm. the test before you get on the plane. Or right.
1: And then you have to think, then what happens? So what happens if someone does test positive and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a scary prospect, I think. I mean, um, at some point w- it will have to be like, you know, this virus will have to be treated as, as other viruses are hopefully when people are vaccinated and there's, you know, they talk about the herd immunity and all of that, but, um, not that I am a uh, medical professional just hopeful that things can get to a point where we can kind of live a semi-normal existence and go about our business
2: yeah I just you know I just wish that, that you know everybody you know go ahead and just get the shot you know because I I never forget the first time I saw a, a victor uh, a person that had that that, that caught it while I was in the hospital, or mm-hmm. seeing him bringing him in, mm-hmm. uh, the guy was in a glass—like I'm sorry, like a plastic bubble, right? Like on a gurney or like something, Like an
1: isolation.
2: Yeah, and they bring yeah. him in, and he have a ox- he has got oxygen, you know, up his nose, and the guy is—he looked like he's flopping like a fish out of water. Mm. If he can't breathe,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then kind of find out that this this guy's lungs were crystallizing. You know, so, see. See, so seeing that, you know, like, um, I, I mean, I wish people would, you know, stop thinking about, you know, the, the government conspiracies and, you know, I mean, okay, things have happened in in, in, in history
0: mm-hmm.
2: about government, you know, as far as doing th- certain things to, to people with these testings and all that kind of crap. Sure. But, you know, but this, this don't have anything to do with this, 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 this epidemic it it, it it it's not a, a black a white. Ch- this thing is hitting everybody. Mexican. It don't have any names. It don't have any skin color to it. It's just taking people. And and the scientists is like the scientists. All they're trying to do is just you know they're, they're trying to you know get you to get this this vaccine so it, you know you can have enough in your immune system to fight it. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and people who get who get the shots, they have to be smart enough to to know, just because you got the shot, they don't necessarily mean you don't have to wear your mask, mm-hmm. especially with these new variants out there. Right. I was just talking to my doctor three or four days ago, and she's telling me, and she's from India, and she was telling me her father, you know, got the shot, and um, he don't go anywhere. In fact, he he had food delivered. You know, mm-hmm. he groceries delivered and all that stuff. And all he do is just get up. He goes, you know, to the rooftop of this building, you know, get some sun, do, you know, get a little workout. And he goes mm-hmm. back to his place. You know, he got hit. And then she's the, her, my doctor is telling me the variant over there. They think it's airborne. Right. So. And I think there's few cases of it here. hmm
1: yeah yeah you can't you can't be too careful i don't think with this and um at this point you know i this we can just put a public service announcement out there get your vaccine please um we all we all want to get back to life right and also to protect the people who need to be protected and right now it's the kids right who can't get the vaccine so let's let's get our vaccines and um protect you know the kids right now who um wore their masks and did what they had to do to pr- protect their elders through the beginning of this so um let's get the vaccine protect the kids hopefully kids can be vaccinated soon i know the testing is ongoing so fingers crossed and um but yeah i think i think one thing through this whole thing is has been how we think about other people um, you know whether you are immune compromised or not, whether you are high risk or not um, thinking about the people who are and protecting them because it's the right thing to do. So that's how I feel about that. Yeah, you're
2: um, absolutely right. I mean uh, I mean look I mean you know when when the flu broke out, I mean you know they found a somewhat of uh, you know something to fight it. So if you don't want to get a flu, you get a you get a shot. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't necessarily mean you know just because you got the shot, you won't get it. Yes. If you get it, at least you have a fighting chance. Your immune system is strong enough to fight it at least.
1: Absolutely.
2: Instead of killing you. Well, it's the same thing with this 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 medicine here.
1: Yeah. And you know, you and I have mutual friends. Um, we you have plenty of, of friends and, and family, and same with me who have either uh, had a really hard time with this virus or passed away um and that that's for for anyone who hasn't had that experience um you're very lucky that that hasn't happened but um to to watch someone that you love or your friend go through this or deal with their family or friends suffering um you know it's it's really difficult a lot of people not only in the music industry had their their jobs seriously affected by the virus, but have lost people. And I think it's important just to recognize that. Um, but you know, we are, we are hopeful that we're on the other side of this in a lot of ways. And if we can just do everyone, do their part, do what we need to do, you know, we'll make it through. Um, and I am excited for you to get back out there, Dennis. I'm psyched that you have a clinic coming up and, Um, and all those maybe dates that that will happen sooner or later. Um, And I just kind of want to go back in time a little bit with you and talk about your start in music. And there are a couple of stories that I love that you've told me over the years. So I just want to share those with with uh, the listeners. One being um, way, way back in the very early Dennis days, how you got your name, if you don't mind talking about that, because I love this.
0: <laughs>
2: First of all, I, my name is Milton Chambers. Let's start there. Um and I was a menace when I when I was a kid. I used to do things to uh the neighborhood kids that I uh, got a lot of beatings for. You know, <laughs> always instigating things, always, you know some kids got hurt, you know, messing around with me. Uh, I remember my cousin Bobby, uh, used to come to the house and and hang out and and. Uh, he go home with a broken arm.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> Not on purpose, right? Nothing no, no, no. On it wasn't on
2: purpose, oh. but it was just some joke I had played and, and, and the joke went wrong and all that stuff. But, so they started calling me Dennis. Dennis the Menace. Because I was a menace, you know, sadly to say.
1: Hmm. I love it. into
2: any more detail
1: no that's okay but it but it stuck with you and a lot of people don't know that you were born your your you know given name was was milton chambers but i love it um and you one of the funny things was um way back in the day when i would uh do clinic tours book clinic tours and and your flights and we needed to to book your you know have your legal name on your flights when i first heard your name i was like who who is, <laughs> <new neighbors? laughs> who is this and then also you would um, book hotel rooms under different names. I and mean, we don't have to talk about those names, but that always cracked me up too. I'll use this name or call call Dennis at this hotel, but he's not under Dennis, he's under this name. And okay, <laughs> like way back in the day, you know.
2: Yeah, because yeah, people, you know, we got a lot of, a lot of drum nuts in the world. <laughs> like you, know, you go to like if you go like certain countries you know like especially in South America you know you got people that will call you know every hotel in in the vicinity
1: mm-hmm. or in
2: town they'll just call every hotel to find you know try to find you yeah so that's when you had to like uh you know change names you know my right. guys do it you know like I remember some guy's name was uh, crowd black man. You know, which was funny. It was like coming up with these funny names. Gomer Pyle. Yes.
1: Gomer Pyle. I remember I sent something to you. I sent a package to a hotel addressed to Gomer Pyle. I do remember that.
2: Mr. Shifley. (laughs) It was all kind of strange names we had.
1: You had to do it, right? I mean, um, and, you know, talking about like the, the drum fans, you are a superstar, you know, you're a superstar musician, but in the drumming world, in particular, um, you're a legend. And I just have to, I just have to say, I pay tribute to you a bit personally. But you, when people ask me why, why I started playing or who my influence, who my influencers were back in the day, um, you're at the very top. And I remember seeing the Zildjian days video um, from London right? London Zildjian days. And it was, um, I had seen you play before, but there was something about that performance that just struck me. And I was like, I need to play drums. I have to play more drums, drums all the time. And it just kind of like launched me into, um, being, you know, having that be my number one thing that I would do. Um, and so I met you the first time I met you, I was pretty, 17 years old i think and you were playing with mike stern at the regatta bar um and i had i came with john DeChristopher and colin schofield um from back in the day at zildjian and what was that
2: you were 17.
1: i was 17. yes oh yes and you know i i worked at a cafe near zildjian going through high school and the zildjian employees would come into that cafe and i i got to know them And then they said, well, I think at one point, who's your favorite drummer? And I said, Dennis Chambers. So then they remembered that when you were coming to town and they said, well, come to the show and you come a little early and meet us and we'll make sure that you meet him, which was so sweet. I mean, like amazing to do that. Um, And so I did, I came early and I just remember you were wearing this like incredible, uh, it was like a gold lame outfit like total Dennis Chambers I'll have to find a picture or something um but you came down the hall singing and you were so gracious and it was just so nice to meet you and then to to sit and watch you play with Mike Stern I was just blown away of course but that was that was my first time meeting you and it, it's so funny because over the years getting to know you um you know, you, you have, you've always been that part, that gracious, like person to people who are fans of your music and, you know, for you to come out and say hi ahead of the show and, um, you know, and entertain this, like, you know, kid drummer who was just like, Dennis, <laughs> it's great. Um, but then like getting to know you on the professional level was so, so amazing too. And then becoming friends and, um, you know, over the years has just been wonderful. So that's my, that's my tribute to you, Dennis.
2: <laughs> well, I thank you very much. I, uh, I remember, uh, I kind of remember meeting you back then in, in those days. What yeah. was going on, uh, around me, uh, you know, worrying about the music, worried about, uh, my drums. Uh, I think we were, I had drums de jour on that tour. Oh yes. You know, and the only thing was consistent was my symbols, you know, because I brought my own symbols back then—symbols and sticks and, and pedals. Um, but the drums, I was, you know, my mind focus was was, was on music and the, on those drums. Those drums going to hold up, or what those drums were going to do later on in that performance. You know, was everything tight down, or you know, all that stuff, because I was setting up my own drums at that time, with mm-hmm. uh, Stern. Well, half we set them up. The other half was set up by um, the tech, and I had to worry about what the tech had done. Because sometimes, you know, I will sit there at the drum kit, and I'll find myself thinking, like, why is the drum kit getting bigger? Come to find out, he didn't tighten the stool up. <laughs> and I'm sliding down. You know, looking up at. The-
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, the the joys of being on the road with uh, sometimes rental gear, right? Um, Absolutely. But you know what, I think one of the things that you said to me back in the day, because um, at these different clinics we would go to, you just never knew what you would get. You know, you'd show up to do a clinic date and the drums might be what the store had in stock or, you know, kind of close to your requirements. And um, you know, I, I remember you saying to me at one of those clinic dates, you know you just have to make it work right like and you did you always sat down and 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 made it happen
2: yeah 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 I, uh, I, I was never you know a stickler about gear or anything like that you know like uh, i mean i make my list and, and tell them what i want but if some guys don't read the uh, manifest uh, you know of the what you need they just give you whatever so no matter what the, the clinic or the show have to go on. So mm-hmm. as long as I have a kick drum, snare drum and a floor time or a rack time, we can make it work.
1: Right. Yeah. You can make it work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do remember one thing on your rider that um, I always had to clarify with people because they'd see it and be like, I don't think that's right. I think that's a typo, but no, that's what you wanted. It was your, your high hats. you, for quite a while and i don't know if this is still your preference but um 13 inch a custom or 13 inch a zildjian master sound bottoms two of them together that was your that was your preference for hi-hats but it was such an unusual request that a lot of people would say oh i don't think that's what he actually meant or i think that's a typo you know
2: yeah that was something i got from Armin. Armin approached me one day go, you know kid you need to check this out you <laughs> know <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, there's two bottles. Yeah, yeah, check it out. You know, so i checked it out. and I was like, oh, it's, it's, yeah, I got something here. Yeah, I'm thankful that he had uh, recommended it.
1: That's fantastic. Yes.
2: Right to this day. You
1: know? Such a creative, creative mind he was, for yep. sure. Yep. Um, and there's him. actually.
2: I, I really miss him. I mean, this guy was like, uh, every time you were around him, he was, the guy was just a, uh, just a lot of fun and he was like you know like this old guy with a with a kids <laughs> with a kid, you know with a kid mind you know it's like it was just young you know mm. always just cracking jokes uh, but when when he was serious he was that you know he was really serious but
1: absolutely yeah so we're talking about Armin Zildjian, who um, was the owner of Zildjian symbols for decades um, it passed on in, in 2003, but what an impression he left on all of us. Actually, there's a, if I move a little bit, there's a, a signed, um, symbol behind me from Armand, um, from way, way back, way back in those days when I was at that cafe actually. Um, and he used to come in for lunch and made such an impression on me, but you're right. Like young at heart and treated everybody like they were incredibly important, you know? And so, um, yeah, left, left, left that impression on me for sure. And um, my time at Zildjian, I always had that in the back of my mind, you know, to keep, to carry that on, make sure that I was carrying on his his uh, his work. And yeah, so I love that. I loved his creativity um, and his relationships with you all too, so. So, so great. Like, um,
2: like I said, I really miss him, mate. Yeah. I, sometimes I sit around and I, I think about some of the trips, you know, running into him or or to them, uh, uh, Andy and and, and uh, Armin in mm-hmm. Russia,
0: of all places. In Russia? Yeah.
1: Oh, that's so great. Yeah, and that was the thing too. No matter where he was, he would always go out and see music. Right? He was just he was a fan of music.
2: I mean, one time i was i was playing somewhere and uh uh i forgot what country that was argentina we were in argentina and I, it was an outdoor gig and i look out and there he is Armin, sitting there <laughs> what are you doing here you know
1: that's uh, so fantastic yeah, yeah so, such a great support system and you know, we he's his name came up last night actually in another conversation. And I feel like um, you know, we say that we miss him and his presence, but like his presence is so here. Like it's so he's still here, you know, the the spirit that he that he left behind. So um that's such a beautiful thing, you know. If we could all leave that behind, that would be like such a legacy.
2: Yeah. I tell you, every everybody who I talk to that you know came through Zildjian, we all the conversations always end up on Armin
1: mm-hmm. and Lenny,
2: Armin and Lenny. Yeah.
1: yeah, yes, the team. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah Lenny's I name think. came up last night too. So, and <laughs> yeah. let's Lenny Dimuzio for anyone who's listening, who was um, AR at Zildjian for for years and years, and uh, he and Armin really kind of like created that whole program together. Yeah. Right. Bringing in top drummers and um, and they and, you know, well, who was it that actually signed you, Dennis? Was that Lenny?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was I forgot. To, there was a gentleman there that saw me. I, I came I went to see Chester Thompson play.
0: Mm-hmm. At a clinic,
2: or see, I went to see him at a clinic at uh, Chuck Lemon's music store. Mm-hmm. And there was a Zildjian rep there and uh, somebody introduced me to him. He's he, I think he saw me play with Parliament Funkadelic one night mm-hmm. and recognized me and brought me to Lenny and uh, Lenny was the one that signed me.
1: That's so great. Yeah. And let's talk about those days too, because like in my mind, there are no days before you were like superstar Dennis Chambers. Um, you know. I've only known you as that but but back in the day you came up um if I remember right you you started playing really young right you were you were like a kid playing gigs basically
2: yeah I started playing drums at drums at the age of four and uh, and that was because of my mom My mom uh, was a professional singer mm-hmm. and um, she had she would always have these bands at the apartment either at the apartment we at my grandmother's backyard rehearsing. So every time the drummer would come around uh, or when they would rehearse, I, that was the only thing that would keep me still. Mm. If not, if, if it wasn't for that, uh, if, it, if it wasn't that, I should say, if it wasn't that, then I was always being Dennis, you know, which is a menace. So, <laughs> um, you know, I saw the drums right to this day. I can, I can still see the drum kit. It was a champagne sparkle uh, Gretsch kit. It was a, Four piece, yeah, four piece kit, and I don't know was I don't know if it was the drums, you know, being as shiny or or the cymbals that that those gold round things, you know, that I remember seeing and you know thinking like man, they look like a spaceship, you know, the mm-hmm. rods look like a gigantic or a little spaceship, and um, but the sound it had and uh, it just drove me right to them. And I just kept my eye on the drummer the whole freaking time. And when they would leave, you know, uh, you know, I was also a little shy kid. So I would never say anything to anybody back then. I would just, just, just watch and observe and then pick up some sticks. Oh, I'm sorry. Pick up knives and forks and start playing, banging around on things. And eventually they brought me a, a, a drum kit. It brought me this little uh, metal looking kit. Um, it had a, it was a bass drum, and it had like a, 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 a two toms on the opposite ends, and I would just sit there and play that. And then my my neighborhood friends destroyed it,
0: <laughs>
2: and you know my parents they realized I, I was like acting weird or something. I guess I was depressed
0: because
2: oh. I couldn't play, so they brought me a real kit. Um, my father or my mom, I can't remember who, but. They went to this music store called Ted's Music Store, right on Center Street here in Baltimore. Ted's Music Store, and it's still there. They w- went down there and um, they put a kit together. They, they took a floor tom, I think it was a, a, a 16-inch floor tom, and converted that into a bass drum. And um, and they, re- they constructed the kit from that, you know, like a 10-inch tom-tom, and they took a, a i think it was a 13 inch floor tom or a 13 inch tom uh, and made that a floor tom i believe mm-hmm. either that or a 14 inch floor tom i can't remember and 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 somehow just got me put me on this chair with with books or something you know <laughs> and i just started playing drums i practiced practice practice listening to the guys who who would come to mom's house Listen to them, and then you know, sit there and try to mimic what they what they were doing. Listening to records, trying to mimic that, you know. And 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 the rest is history. I was like buying in, always buying in on things. You know, I mean, um, you know, my father would. I, I sent my father out to get a metronome once, and he came back with this thing called the trianon. And now the trianone is it's a box, but like that big. And I still have it, by the way. Um, I got a few of them now, but there's a box about that big and it's got like these four drawer bars and the drawer, drawer bars go from one to like uh, 28 or something like that. Wow. And you take the, the first drawer bar on the left-hand side and you take that and take it all the way from four all the way up to 28. So, okay, let's say you take that drawer bar and you stick it to like 16. You take the second drawer bar and that goes from three to you know to whatever so so i got 16 against 10 and then i take the third drawer bar which is two from two to whatever so now i got 16 against 10 against uh six the one is the the the, the uh, accent so you can slide that from one to four you know because it's either going to be one or you count counting every 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 fourth beat, you hear a bing. Mm. And that taught me how to play polyrhythms, And that taught me how to hear Elvin Jones, basically. Wow. So I just plugged it in. All I heard was like, you know, all this clickety-clackety. You know, <laughs> and uh, I unplugged it, wrapped it up, stuck it in the closet. And uh, the family was moving to another location. And I, f- somebody found it. Either I found it or somebody found the thing in the closet. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that old me- uh, this mechanism supposed to be a metronome that my, that's I father out for. I plugged it in. As soon as I plugged it in, I heard Elvin. Wow. I heard polyrhythms. Because, uh, you know, listening to Elvin so much, I, I, I couldn't understand what the concept of what he was doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I mean, I knew it was polyrhythms, but, you know, like, how did he do it? Or how do you hear these things? As soon as I plugged that thing in, I, I heard it.
1: That is incredible. And
2: <laughs> it taught me how to like isolate my hand to play certain things, you know, like 16 beats
1: mm-hmm.
2: or, or uh, four to 28, mm-hmm. 28 beats. Uh, the left hand, uh, uh, it's the left drawbar. And I would slide that from, like I said, from, from three to whatever. So I just build all these different ways of how to play Polyrhythms, you know, that,
1: that's splitting, amazing.
2: Splitting your brain into four ways, four way independence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I can hear what you're describing right now. I can totally hear it in your playing, just with exactly that your limb independence. Um, is that something that's made anymore, that device, or is no. there a digital version or anything?
2: Well, you know, Horatio, uh, when I came up with, with an idea, and uh, and we went. I'm we, oh, sorry. We went to a friend of ours who funded it, mm. um, and the app came out, um, and it was kind of successful. But Apple had changed their s- system software, which causes like okay, every time they do that, then all the companies that 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 want to sell their product through Apple,
1: mm-hmm. you have, have to have update them. it.
2: They have to update it, and the updates were expensive.
1: Man, we have to get, well, maybe we can work to get that funded somehow because that's, it's like so perfect. And, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned Horacio because thinking of his like clave and his limb independence and all of that, it's just like, it's perfect for that. Yeah. And I can hear it. I can hear it working, but that that's amazing. So it's called a trinome?
2: A yeah, trinome,
0: yeah.
1: Okay. A lot of people are going to look that up. <laughs> That's, that's very cool, though. Um, And you, I I remember you talking about like, practice, people would always ask you about practicing um, in the clinics. That was a good question. Like, how do you practice? And when do you practice? And I do remember you talking about being younger, and practicing on pillows, Mm -hmm. which is something I used to do also, because it's a good way to not annoy parents when you're trying, when you want to play, and um, you can't make a lot of noise. And this was before low volume cymbals and drum heads and all of that stuff. But plus, it also does something where it helps you develop your strength because you are playing on something that's so soft with no rebound. And I just always found that really interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, practicing on, uh, practicing on, on on a surface that has no rebound definitely works for me. Uh, <clears throat> and it also worked with, with Billy Cobham, as I found out later. Uh, and it also worked for a lot of marching drummers,
0: mm.
2: you know, because it's like, you know, when you strike a surface and, and there's no rebound, then you have to pull the stick out of it. So it's either it's gonna work great, you know, for your wrist or your fingers. mm mm-hmm. um, but mainly for the wrist. So when you strike it, you gotta pull out. So now you, you're breaking in uh, muscles a lot faster than normal than just working on some practice pad. You know, and I, I always ask people, you know, when you're doing a rudiment, you know, how many people that, that worked out these rudiments on practice pads, meaning that rubber practice pads at that time,
0: mm-hmm. rubber
2: surfaces, and they work on it, they get it perfected, and then they go back to a drum and they can't play it. And then half the class half of everybody or half the room would raise their their hand and I will tell them the reason for that is because now you know, you know a, a rubber pad is definitely going to be different than a, a natural drum head you know I would ask the, the students or the, the, the people that's in the in the room ask them about rudiments and you know when they when they practice on it or when they work these things out on the practice pad a rubber surface pad and then you go back to a, a natural drum, you know they, they fall apart, and the reason for it is because a drum head has a certain amount certain uh, amount of rebound,
0: will
2: mm-hmm. allow your sticks to rebound from. So when you strike it, you know you get you know you get some rebound, but not a lot. When you hit a pad with a rubber pad, you hit it, and the thing jumps in your face almost. Mm-hmm. So that's something you have to learn to control. Right. But if, you, if you're gonna work on on, on a, a drum, you have to learn to control your fingers and your wrist to work with it. But if you work on a pillow that has no rebound, then you have to work your fingers harder, your, your wrist harder to work mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So if you get back to the drum, your hands are, I mean, your hands are, are moving twice as fast and twice right. as easy. But that worked for me. You know, and I wouldn't necessarily say that works for everybody. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say, well, you know, I tried that and it didn't work. Okay, well, it didn't work, you know. But right. I find it kind of strange. It works for, you know, like a lot of marching drummers and, and uh, it works for guys who have fast hands.
1: There you go. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just have to stick with it, too. It might not be comfortable. That's that's another thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: But people get you know as soon as people get you know uncomfortable, then they want to give up and say it don't work or whatever have you. Just like when I when I first met Buddy Rich, he was telling me about taking springs off the pedals and stuff like that and work. uh, Try to play your bass drum without a spring on the pedal. Practice, not mm -hmm. just practice it. And at that time, back in them days, you could take a spring off the pedal easily. Now you can't. Right. so. It's a
1: little more complicated. Did you do that though? Did, yeah. did you do that to work your foot? Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and what I learned is, well, first he didn't tell me um, that you have to like uh, uh, you can't bury the beater in the in the head. And he didn't tell me that you know like uh, um, if you feel any pain by doing this, then back away. Mm. I didn't learn that until later, until the second time I saw him and, and asked him about about some things. But how this all came about was, I saw him uh, playing a gig outdoors here in Baltimore. And the last so- solo of the night he played, and then all of a sudden the spring popped off or something happened. I saw him look down and hear that look, you know, I was gritting his teeth, you know, like. <laughs> and then he took his stick and pulled the beat. Oh, actually, he took his right hand and was playing the bass drum with his with his right hand while he was looking around for the drum tech and he couldn't find him you know he couldn't see him so he pulled the beater back and he started feathering eighth notes without the without any spring on it and then the the further the drum solo went you know he started going into like eighth or quarter notes eighth notes and then 16th notes and before the solo had ended he was doing 32nd notes you know without a spring on the pedal now you could tell all the drummers in the house because everybody ran, rushed the stage, and like went, you know, try to get to the side of the stage to see. Mm-hmm. And he was basically doing a drum solo, doing 30 second notes without a spring on the pedal. So, and that, yeah, of course, me being a kid caught my eye. I wanted to learn what that was all about. But then I found out, you know, the history of him is that the guy was a great tap dancer.
0: Mm hmm.
2: And that's, uh, you know, he had great, great ankle control, you know, cause being a tap dancer, you have to have some serious ankle, ankle control. Absolutely. And, uh, he applied all of that, you know, to the drums.
1: That's amazing. I, I love that back in the day, so many drummers were, were tap dancers or dancers of any form. I remember when I, first started expressing how I wanted to play drums when I was really little. Um, And my grandfather, who was a musician and played all the instruments, pretty much everything, um, he said, you know, if you want to play drums, take tap lessons. And this was something I was interested in too. And I did. I took, uh, I want to say like seven years of tap dancing um, and loved it. And I still love it. But that was always fascinating to me that that was a thing and it makes so much sense because rhythm and then also like you said the the muscle control kind of goes together but there are all these videos from back in the day of like famous musicians and drummers tap dancing yeah so great
2: yeah especially buddy i mean yeah there's this one where he's dancing dancing with some lady i forgot the lady's name but they're doing this routine where she's spinning they're both spinning actually. And Buddy's, she's holding a drum as she spins and Buddy is is doing a little drum solo and somehow he still hit hit that drum while they're spinning.
1: Wow. I need to look that one up. That sounds great. That's really cool. Speaking of drum solos, by the way, um, you know, you have you widely known for your for your drum solos Um, and. I remember seeing a video of you doing a solo. You were on a Santana uh, gig and you were doing this incredible drum solo. And then it like cuts to Sting is standing there watching you. I don't know where this was taken. It must've been in the 2000s, I would imagine, right? Somewhere in there. And Sting is just standing there. And then at some point, like I think he, you know like claps or like whistles or something. And I was just like, that is, that is pretty incredible. I mean, just the, the musicians that you've played with the musicianship on stage, um, the, the people that you've shared the stage with is just incredible from Santana to Parliament Funkadelic. And, you know, um, there just kind of like runs the gamut. And I mentioned Mike Stern earlier, but, um, it's just amazing to me. I'm wondering if you ever, like, did you look over and see Sting standing there watching you? (laughs) Like,
2: yeah, I knew. See, that that day we had discussed no drum solos. Oh, really? There, were, there was no drum solos, And it was <laughs> because we were on the festival.
1: Okay. You know, okay.
2: Roger Waters. Uh, uh, I think Sting was on that show. Uh, I think that's the reason why he was there, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. But there was a lot of groups on that show uh, that day. So we're right at the top, coming in, playing uh, uh, I forgot the name of the song now. I can't think of the name of that song anyway. So we're we're playing it, and all of a sudden, Carlos turns and he looks at the monitor guy, and he sees Sting standing next to him, and he just turns around and go like, "Drum solo." <laughs> and you can see, you can see, I, I'm shaking my head a little bit, you know, like no, you know, I thought maybe he forgot. And then you see Raúl, the conga player, is pointing. To make sure that Carl knew that there was a, a solo. Carl's looking complex because we had discussed no drum solos, and I didn't want to do one that day. Oh no! So so, I came in, you know, like trying to figure out, okay, what what uh, what am I going to do? Because uh, the whole thing of it, the, the whole concept of not taking a drum solo is just to play more music. And uh and now that I knew the you know, now that I knew I had to do a drum solo, I had to think of the time restrictions. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I knew I couldn't get too deep into into the drum solo. Just do a little something to come out of it. But Sting was standing right there whistling and, you know, clapping and and when I came down off the bandstand I'm walking towards I had to go by him to get out of there. And he stopped me and, and uh, he was asking, you know, some questions about us in the past. Mm. I did an audition for him a long time ago. Well, I think it was right after Omar. Oh, wow! And um, um, I passed the audition, and something with management went wrong with with uh, that whole thing. And then uh, uh, I was doing the uh, Clark Duke video, and he called there, asked me to do an audition for him in L.A. And because of what happened in New York with his management, mm. I decided not to take the phone call. Mm-hmm. And that's when Vinny got out.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: In fact, it was on a Zildjian day in LA. I
0: mean, oh, wow. It
2: was, it was right after Pearl died, and I was going to see Louis. I was dying to see him, you know, and just uh, you know, see how he's holding up and all that. Yeah. And um, Vinny came down early. And uh, then that's when we found out who got the gig.
1: Wow. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think of Sting as he must just be a a huge drum fan because, you know, or a lo- he has a love for drums because, it, I mean, his drummers are always just phenomenal yeah. drummers, like, like tops. So um, I can understand why he would want to talk to you about that and have you, you play with him. Of course.
2: One time I, I saw him in Montreal. Mhm, And uh, he was going across the street. He just walked by himself. I couldn't believe it. He was just out there walking across the street. And I saw him, I'm like, that looked like Sting. And I'm like, hey, Sting. No, I said, hey, Gordon. That's what I said, hey, Gordon. <laughs> he turns around, he sees me, he runs back over, he gives me this hug. And he was like, man, you know, you're my favorite drummer. I'm like, yeah, well, hire me then.
1: <laughs> That's so great. Oh, I'll, I'm going to link to that video, though, of you taking that solo, because I love the fact that like you weren't supposed to do a drum solo that night. And it was like one of the greatest. Yeah. And I have to ask you, too, like I think of you. Um, I think of that Zildjian Day's performance that I referenced earlier, um, seeing you play solos from when I was younger and, and wanting to get into drumming and, you know, up until all the things that you do now. and the latest thing or the last thing that we did together, which was the um, Zildjian live in LA and in, in uh, January of 2020. And when I always picture you taking her solo, I just picture you closing your eyes and lean back a little bit and just get into this zone. Um, and I wonder, like, are you thinking? Are you thinking about what you're doing or is it just kind of like coming out? How does that happen for you?
2: Sometimes it happens through melodies. Sometimes it happens through uh, situations that you're dealing with. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know how you're trying to tell a story in a drum solo. Uh, I mean, because I always believe that solos should have it should be a story. Mm. You know, it should always have a beginning, a middle, and a, and and an end.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but you know, sometimes you know. Uh, Things that happen in, in the in the course of a, of a day in your life that inspire you to do certain things, you know, play a certain way. Um, sometimes you think of you know uh, of the other drummers, you know, like I sometimes I think of Vinnie what he's doing or Terry Bazio, or Marvin Smitty Smith, Watts, uh, mm. or uh, Jack Jeanette Lenny White, you know, the, you know, all the guys that came before me and. And think about like okay like I'm gonna try to channel my thing you know through them you know or them through me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all kind of weird things that happen when I when I take solos, and I think it's the same thing with everybody else. You know, like when you see Coltrane, or when you could see Coltrane, or we watch these videos of Coltrane. Or 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 all the genius guys like Alvin and, and Billy and Billy Cobham, Hart mm-hmm. and those guys. You know when they take drum solos, they, it's nothing written out. It's nothing etched in stone. They just they just go and 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 whatever hit them at that moment. You know they it's like uh, it's like riding a freaking wave. You know sometimes you you get on that that surfboard and you go out there and you go surfing and. It's a miss. You
0: know, and then mm-hmm. you
2: get the perfect one, and then you go with it. Well, I mean, for me, solos is like that. you know? I love it. You know, I think of people, I think of music. Uh, always thinking of music, but I think of certain people who are creating it too. You know, sometimes I get, you know, I'll hear a Holsworth, Alan Holsworth melody, and I'll go with that. You know, it's like little ear candies that, that, that get, you know, capture your ear. You know, people that inspire me to do certain things. Absolutely. And by being, by doing it that way, you stay fresh, you know?
1: Right. Always pulling from new experiences or things happening or other pieces of music. But I love that you're thinking about those who came before you and channeling some of that too. And I want to talk a little bit about um, those who are coming after you too, because you're always so supportive of the next generation of drummers. Um, you're a huge influence to countless drummers, um, but not only that, giving them inspiration, but you're also lending your support. And I can't even I can't uh, count the number of times that you called me and said, "Hey, you got to check out this new drummer," or "I'm going to hook you up with so and so," um, and "Have you heard of?" or "Have you heard their music?" Uh, and and then also not only that but following up and uh being a mentor like a few of the other guests i've had on this um, podcast are mentors like that and i i put you right in that same category where you're following up and kind of like helping them navigate the the music industry world which is so incredibly important
2: yeah yeah i'm a am a big fan of like some of these young younger drummers that uh, that are coming up you know, like uh, Lee Pearson, uh, was a phenomenon, uh, I really dig. You know, uh, Little Mike Mitchell is, is a bad boy.
1: <laughs>
2: I just talked to him a few nights ago. I think he's in Poland somewhere. Um, wow. Tony Royster, you know, still is just blazing. Thomas Pritchett is still blazing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Arnold Bruner is blazing, you know. But, you know, the, the thing that they have to – If they haven't learned by now, the thing they have to learn is just that they got to keep a a level head, you know, through all of their success. Mm -hmm. Uh, And don't be afraid to, you know, help people, you know, help the the next guy who's coming along, because uh, that's what keep it going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, we all want this industry to keep thriving and um, keep being replenished with really great musicians so it is important. i
2: always said, you know, I, I uh, I'm a big fan of, of of the drums more than playing them. You know, I, I love people who really uh, take the instrument and and can think different. You know, think outside the box. Mm-hmm.
0: Different.
2: You know, like a Chris Dave, you know, who, and and Steve Jordan, you know, two important people who you know take this instrument and just take it somewhere else, take a total different place than anybody else. Terry Bozio is another one who takes the drums and just take it somewhere else, you know? So, and I'm just good friends with him, you know? Just blessed to have them as friends and and I can, you know, go pick their mind. Marvin Smitty Smith, I can always call him and pick his brand. But we do more laughing than anything.
1: (laughs) I bet, I bet you do. Yeah. But you know what, that's like the friendship is also providing inspiration too. So it's so important. This, I always say it, but this industry and this, this part of the industry, like the percussion part of the music industry, there's just so much support of each other and the friendship goes so deep and it's just amazing to see, um, how much everyone cares for each other and kind of like pulls each other up. Um, it's inspiring. And then when, when there's not that, it's noticeable, you know? So you kind of have to remember that this is a, a small, really small industry where, where people really know each other and um, and it is and it is about support and taking care of each other at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, every now and then I, I always pick up, well, every now and then I pick up the phone and I'll make, I'll call, try to call Gad up or, you know, call Billy or, or, you know, call somebody just to see how they're doing. I mean, because I really care about those guys. Really care about what, what's going on with them, you know, uh, and you know, seeing what's going on and see if they, you know, if they need my help or if I can help them with something or, you know, or just to talk to them, you know?
1: Yeah. See how their families are doing. And yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's important. That support's amazing. And, um, you know, you've always been there for me, too, Dennis. So I have to thank you for that.
2: You're welcome. We've going to find out what the little one's doing. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Dennis, for your time. I appreciate you. And really thank you for sharing today all of those great stories. Um, I know that, you know, like I said, you're a legend, and you have so many people out there who respect you so much and are just inspired by you every day. So uh, thank you for for being out here, for imparting some wisdom. Um, and I cannot wait to see you in person soon.
2: Same here, Sarah. And thank you for having me today.
1: Absolutely. Thank Talk to you. you soon.
2: Give those kids a kiss for me.
1: I will.
0: Kiss <laughs> on the forehead.
1: I absolutely will. All right. All right.
0: Bye. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us each Tuesday for new episodes of Sarah Hagen Backstage.